please turn with me to our scripture reading. Matthew chapter 28. While I did preach this passage a few years ago, we're going to preach it again because we are working our way through Matthew. Uh, This is our last day in Matthew, actually. And uh, it's been long enough that I suspect those of you that heard this sermon um, will still be able to uh, benefit from uh, preaching it. We're starting in verse 16. We're reading to verse 20. This is the word of God. It has no errors in the original languages in which it was given, and we have the promise in faithful translations of the original that it remains to us the authoritative word of God. So listen to God speak to you using my voice. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven, excuse me, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Pray with me. O Lord, we ask that you would help us at this time. I need help as the preacher. I need for you to be the preacher, Lord Jesus. Would you please grant me unction as I preach? But Lord, would you please give grace to the hearer, hearers as well, who need help to hear, um, to respond appropriately, uh, to concentrate. Lord, we are all uh, we are all frail and weak, um, bodily, and in other ways. So would you please aid us in our time of need, and would you please honor yourself as well. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Children, have you ever been someplace where you were all alone, all by yourself, None of your brothers and sisters were there. Your mom and your dad were not there. Maybe it was out in the woods behind your house or some other woods. Maybe it was you were in a room all by yourself and the door was closed and you didn't hear any noise. But some place where you were completely alone. Have you ever been in such a place? Has that ever happened to you? I want to tell you something. You weren't alone. You weren't alone. Did you know that? God was there. 
Yeah, God was there. Jesus was there, who is God, God the Son, and he was there. One of the truths that this passage teaches us, children, that we're looking at this morning, is that uh, God is always with the believer, in a special way. Now, he's everywhere, so he's with the unbeliever, too, but not in the same way that he's with you, uh, who love Jesus. He's in a special way with you and me. And so you need to know that you're never, ever, ever in your entire life going to be alone. You may feel like it sometimes. Sometimes life can be, in this world, can be kind of lonely, and we feel lonely. But you need to remind yourself at those times, you're not. You're not. The Father in Heaven who loves you and the Son, the Lord Jesus, your Savior, and the Holy Spirit who dwells within your heart if you're a Christian, He is with you. They are with you. And this passage teaches us that in the third point that I'm going to uh, uh, make in this sermon. But we're going to look at two other points first. I'll get to those in just a second. But first, I just want to remind you of the background. Jesus, of course, is uh, risen from the dead. Um, he had uh, appeared uh, to the women uh, who were at the tomb. Um, actually, the angel first appeared to the women and spoke to them and uh, told them uh, the fact that uh, uh, they needed to go to Galilee uh, to meet Jesus. Uh, the, the disciples, rather, needed to go to Galilee to meet Jesus. And then, as they left the tomb, Jesus himself, uh, the resurrected Christ, uh, appeared to Jesus, uh, appeared to them, rather, and uh, said the same thing said, go and tell the disciples that I'm going to meet them uh, in Galilee. And uh, he was going to meet them on a mountain in Galilee. We don't know which mountain it was, but he designated the mountain in one of his appearances there. Um, and he, in fact, met with the disciples on that mountain. And that's what we read of in verses 16 through 20 that we're looking at today. Jesus is with his disciples. Now this, by the way, is not the final meeting that Jesus had with them. This is in Galilee. Where's the final meeting that Jesus had with them? On the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem. So this isn't the final time he meets with them. Uh, uh, but it is uh, one of the meetings, post-resurrection uh, meetings. There are now three points that we're going to glean from this passage. First, we're going to look at the tremendous assurance that your risen Savior has given to you. Secondly, we are going to look at the awesome responsibility that your risen Savior has given to you. And then finally, we are going to look at the glorious promise that your risen Savior has given to you. And I, uh, it's the one that I mentioned to the children just a moment ago, but we'll get to that. First, let's look at the tremendous assurance that your risen Savior, the Lord Jesus, has given to you and has given to all of us. We read in verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I want to dissect this a little bit in this, in this point. First of all, he speaks of authority. He says, All authority has been given to him. What does he mean by that? Well, the authority that Jesus has as the risen uh, and now enthroned Messiah and King of the universe 
is kingly authority. It's supreme. It is ultimate. It is absolute. It is um, a full and complete kingly authority. And it is the authority given to him by uh, the triune God, if you will. The triune God is now ruling through the messianic king who is the exalted and enthroned uh, Jesus Christ. And he has all that divine authority. And that is authority to, to do a number of things that we read of in Scripture. First of all, authority to forgive sin. Secondly, authority to grant life to whomever he wishes to grant such life. Spiritual life we're talking about there. Eternal life. That authority includes the authority to gather, to instruct, and to govern his elect people as their covenant head. That's you. He has authority, was given authority to rule over the universe in general and to rule over the kingdom of God in particular and the visible church. That authority includes authority to subdue all of his enemies to himself. His and our enemies, and they're the same, by the way. And he, of course, has been given the authority to judge all the living and all the dead on the last day. Everything in terms of authority stops with Jesus. And this authority was bestowed upon him as a reward, if you will, for his willingness by the Father as a reward for Jesus' willingness to be the Redeemer and Mediator of God's elect. To be our Redeemer and Mediator. And he was rewarded by the triune God with this authority. Now, this authority, by the way, was given to him not just here at this point in time. It was given to him earlier on. If you look at Matthew's chapter 11, verse 27, we read there, Jesus speaking. I'll start in verse 25. At this time Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent, and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Notice, this is well before his Uh, crucifixion, well before his resurrection. Uh, And he says, all authority in the past tense, uh, all things rather, have been handed over. And that's a reference to all the authority that he has. It had been handed over at that point in time, and is again as a reward for what he at this point was going to do, but had not yet fully completed, that is, his atoning work. But that authority was made manifest by his resurrection and his ascension, as Paul makes clear over in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, when he said, Therefore also, because of his humbling himself unto death, even to the point of death on a cross, 
We read in verse 9, Therefore also God highly exalted him, and be, therefore, by the way, is very important, therefore, because of his humbling himself in obedience to the Father unto death, therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, uh, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. There's the authority to the glory of God the Father. There is no sphere of existence, in existence, over which Jesus does not rule. There is no sphere. We talked about this this morning in Sunday school, in fact. Nicely dovetails with this point. That includes the spheres of uh, heavenly in the, on the earth and spheres in the heavenly realm as well. Uh, human spheres of authority and angelic spheres of authority. Jesus is in charge of it all and has authority over all spheres. Uh, every other authority that exists in the universe is merely an extension of Jesus' own authority and has been delegated, if you will, by him to those under-authorities, if we can call them that. Whether that be in your family, at work, in the church, in the government, doesn't make any difference. They're all delegated. Jesus is the final authority. And their authority is merely derivative. It is not ultimately their authority when they exercise it, those other uh, lesser authorities, if you will. This even, by the way, includes Satan. Uh, uh, Satan has been given temporal authority of sorts um, as the prince of the power of the air and the ruler of this world. Now, that's ruler with a small r, um, not with a capital R, but nonetheless ruler. Uh, Satan has been given temporal authority, and he was given authority, and that's evident, by the way, in, in the conversation that he had uh, in Job, about Job. Uh, God gave Satan permission, which is to say authority, to afflict Job. Uh, the evil spirit that was sent uh, to terrorize Saul was sent... By God. God had the authority and gave him the authority to go and afflict and terrorize Saul, which he did at God's behest. These authorities are permitted to exercise whatever authority they have only because uh, it serves God's sovereign purposes. That includes Satan's authority or human authorities. And Jesus here, in the text that we are looking at today, shares this great truth that all authority belongs to him, none other but him. And he shares that with his disciples, his apostles, now apostles, sent ones, to give them, among other things to do, to give them the courage that they need, would need, to fulfill the daunting task that he was about to give them, which was to proclaim the gospel to the whole world, a world that would hate them for it in many quarters. And they, of course, went. And we are the result here because of the apostles. 
because of Christ working through the apostles, giving them the courage they needed to face death, which all of them, but a one one of them, uh, church tradition, uh, the early church fathers tell us, uh, actually died um, martyrs' deaths. And that courage came from knowing this, you see. And by the way, knowing this truth that all authority belongs to Christ, your King, is it is what will give you, or has given you in the past and will give you in the future, if you're a Christian, what you need to make the tough decisions that you must make if you're going to obey God. It's tough to obey God at times, folks. Right? Everybody agree with me? If you don't, come and talk to me. I want to know what the secret sauce is. No, it is hard at times. And certain times, it's unbelievably hard. But this is where we can get the courage to make tough decisions. To say no to sin that wants us so badly. And that sin derives from within us. The old man. that We sang about... um, We sing about... Anyway, earlier today, that came up. That might have been in Sunday school. At any rate point is, we need courage. We need to know it's going to be okay if I fight to make this decision even though it hurts. And this uh, truth uh, that Christ is your king and my king, and that's all that's important, really, when it boils right down to it, is serving him. And that brings assurance to fight the fight. It's worth fighting because of this. He's no wimpy savior who's looking for people's permission to do what he wants to do. How gripped with you are this with the, how gripped with you are you with this truth by the way? Does this make a difference in your life the way you live your life? That Jesus is your king and the king of the universe? And that nothing happens apart from his will? Does that move you? Do you believe it, really? Do you act as if you believe it? None of us do perfectly, or even close. And there's grace, there's forgiveness to be had. for not uh, fighting with the courage that we need to fight, at times, the world and the flesh and the devil. God is happy to forgive you in Christ. But you need to know that it's sinful to not fight all the time against those forces that are arrayed against us, within and without. And to remember this, I have a king, I must serve him. He loves you. He forgives you. He forgives me. But we must strive to live with this in mind at all times. And do better next time if we've failed recently. Secondly, not only in this passage we have the tremendous assurance 
uh, that our risen Savior has given to us, that he, all authority belongs to him. But we also have the awesome responsibility that our risen Savior has given to us, found in verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. He says, therefore. So it's very obvious that what Jesus' statement in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, so those two, uh, those two verses and their contents are intimately connected with each other. It's a causal relationship there. You can see that. Always very important to look for words like therefore and thus and for and so. Those are hugely important uh, to follow the logic of the apostle or the prophet uh, that you're reading. At any rate, the therefore is connected with the statement that Jesus has just made. He says, go, therefore, because of what I've told you, and make disciples. He's saying something, in effect, as if to say, given the fact that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me, and I am your Lord, and I am your Savior, and I am your King, given that fact that everything belongs to me, including the power to forgive sins, to grant eternal life, to gather, instruct, and govern my elect, to rule over the universe in general, and the kingdom of God in particular, and to subdue all my enemies to myself, and judge the living uh, and the dead in the last day, because of all that authority... You are to go. I, by virtue of that authority, command you to go. Now, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to 11 men. But is that all to whom he's talking? No. No. Yes, he's speaking first and foremost to these 11 who were standing in front of him there on the mountain. But it is also very clear that our risen Lord also is speaking to the apostles as representatives of the entire New Testament covenant community, the entire church of God. Evidence for this is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11, uh, 9 and 10. We are t- uh, I'll, I'll turn right there quickly. You can turn with me if you'd like. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10. This is where uh, he equates, in effect, uh, Israel with the church. The church is Israel. Israel is the church. That's spiritual Israel, by the way, not ethnic Israel. Um, He says in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and note this, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once, uh, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those well-known verses from Hosea. Uh, uh, and elsewhere. But notice, he's teaching there in that passage that the people of God, the, the, the church, uh, are to proclaim, we are to proclaim the excellencies um, to all peoples, the excellencies of, of God, 
uh, in the gospel and in Christ. This is, if you will, the purpose uh, for which we were redeemed. It's not the only purpose, but it is one of the principal purposes for which you were redeemed, and I was redeemed by Christ, and that is that we should tell others about him, how they can avoid going to hell, but rather go to heaven for eternity. And to proclaim requires that we physically use our lips to speak his name and to speak the truth of the gospel to him. There are people who want to say, well, I, I witnessed with my, uh, with my actions. Okay. Yes, there's a sense in which we witness with our actions. But that doesn't get you off the hook. That doesn't mean you can't, you are not required to witness with your lips. That is, that is simply not true. We are to be his witnesses. We are to proclaim his excellencies in Christ to a world that desperately needs to know. And we are to go And proclaim those excellencies, keeping ever before us the fact that we ourselves have been called out of spiritual darkness by that, by those excellencies, by the, by the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God in Christ. That we have already benefited from God's gracious heart. And we need to go gripped by that truth. I am not going where I deserve to go. Not because I did anything that prevented me from going there, but because God did in Christ. And I have been saved, and the least I can do is tell other people how to be saved too. It's only as we come to grips with how blessed we are as forgiven and loved people, um, servants of Christ, that we will uh, be moved with the compassion that we need to have for those who are in such desperate straits around us. We're not going to find the compassion for them if we don't understand how blessed we have been by God and by Christ and his finished work. It's not going to provide us with sufficient motivation to break out of our comfort zone. It's not easy to share the gospel, is it? Maybe a few people it's easy. Some people say I uh, some people have said that I, you know, am like that. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. It's tough for me. It's tough probably for most all of you as well. But the folks, folks, we gotta get past the, 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 but my comfort zone. Who cares about your comfort zone? God doesn't. He's given you orders. Now, it's a blessing. You're, you're a representative of the King. It's a blessing to be a witness for Christ. To proclaim his love, his, his mercy. But it's a command to go. It's not a suggestion.
And we are to go. This implies action, movement towards something. We are to go figuratively. We are to go, uh, go therefore, and make disciples. We are to go figuratively, figuratively, that is to say, we are to resolve before God that we will be fishers of men and disciples of men too. We need to actively, you need to actively think through and plan how you're going to go about witnessing to the people in your sphere of influence. You, there's that uh, uh, personal strategy evangelism worksheet that uh, hangs up there on the wall. and uh, Perhaps some of you have done that and gone through that. Maybe it's time to update it. If you've never done it, I would encourage you to grab one on the way out. I hope there are enough there. If there aren't, we'll have them there next week. At any rate... Uh, but it's an opportunity for you to think through and strategize. How can I, how can I find a way to um, turn a conversation to Christ with this person or with that person? We got to be proactive in thinking uh, strategically and not just uh, expe- expect uh, opportunities to just fall into our lap. I'm guilty of the latter, by the way, myself. But we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to look for opportunities. And we're also not only supposed to go figuratively, we are supposed to go literally. That is, it's not enough to wait for non-Christians to come to us and say, oh, please tell me about Jesus so I can be saved. That's never going to happen. Well, probably not. we got to go out to them. We've got to strive, again, to make opportunities to share our faith. And we are to go, you are to go, and you are to make disciples. That is not, folks, just the job of the elders in the church, or the men in the church, or the women in the church, children. We are all to go and we're to make disciples. That's, and that, by the way, is not just making converts. And by the way, we don't make converts. Uh, God does, but he uses means. But it's not just to be a disciple is to not just be a convert to Christianity. A disciple, the disciples that Jesus is talking about here in this verse and elsewhere are learners. They are ones who are being instructed. And not just merely ones who are learning truths about God's law and about their lost condition, about the plan of salvation, learning things intellectually. It's not mere intellectual knowledge that uh, a disciple a true disciple of Christ has, but rather it is someone who has appropriated those truths about God's law, about God's person, about God's way of salvation, and so on, uh, has appropriated those truths in such a way that um, their lives are consistent with those truths. A discipler is a follower. We follow in Jesus' footsteps. We're not literally, because he's not here anymore, but through his word. We follow in his footsteps. That's what a disciple is. That's what a convert is, by the way. It's not just somebody who signs a prayer card or raises their hand or prays a prayer. It's somebody where there's, there's proof in the pudding. He or she follows. Is a disciple. Is a learner and a applier of God's, of Christ's word. You and I are to make disciples, and we're to make them of all the nations, folks. We have an obligation to reach out to people who are not like us. Yes, in other nations, to the degree that we get an opportunity to do that, we kind of do that vicariously through our missionaries. 
but perhaps you might have an opportunity to do that uh, with uh, uh, somebody who is a foreigner visiting in this country. Um, you might have an opportunity to do that or go to another country yourself and do uh, short-term missions or uh, uh, whatever, or on vacation, witness to somebody. But we're to, we're to reach out to people that are not like us, that don't speak the same language, that don't have the same uh, skin color or hair color or eye color or height. Robert was making the point this, uh, in Sunday school this morning that uh, there's only one race. There is only one race, biblically. It's the human race. There are not three or four or five or whatever races. There's only one. And all of them were descended from Adam. There's this evil concept called kinism that believes that... Anyway, I won't even tell you about it. It's It's horrible. We're all brothers and sisters in the sense. I got to be careful here. I don't want to do the brotherhood of man thing. Um, but we're all we're all human beings, and we all are made in the image of God, and we all need to be treated as valuable. and And the way we show somebody value more than anything else is tell them the truth. Just don't let them skip off merrily into into the hell's flames without trying to rescue them. Especially if you're provided an opportunity to do that. No, to go and to make disciples requires that you give sacrificially of your time, of your talents, of yourself. You know, you, all of you, and we don't, I don't stress this enough, but now I'm finally saying something about it. We need to disciple people. You need to look for opportunities to take somebody under your wing. You older ladies, I'll let you figure out who you are. Um, um, You can disciple some of the younger women. Take them out to lunch. Talk to them about Jesus. Study the Bible together. You older men, I'll let you figure out who you are. Same. It's not just us elders. And you kids. Some of you older kids can disciple younger kids. You ought to look for opportunities. Yeah, and some of you older siblings can disciple your, your, your younger siblings. Study the Bible with your sister, your brother. Talk about Jesus with them. We all need to be in some way, shape, or form involved in discipling the nations. Taking seriously this command, which is given not just to the apostles, but to the entire church. And we are to make disciples, we are told, first, what's the first thing we do? By baptizing them. Baptism signifies and seals the believer's cleansing uh, from the guilt and power of sin. Notice the believer's cleansing. It signifies and seals the believer's cleansing from the guilt and power of sin. Baptism signifies and seals our spiritual union with the Lord Jesus Christ as our covenant head. This is evident from what Paul says over in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Baptism signifies being clothed with Christ. doesn't always mean the person who is baptized is clothed with Christ. That's a polemic against our Baptist friends, by the way. But um, 
but it signifies and seals that to the believer who is, who receives the sign. It also signifies and seals our entrance into and our union with Christ's corporate body, the church. That is to say, the visible church, the covenant community, the community in which the, the covenant of grace is being worked out, which is the visible church. And baptism signifies our incorporation into it. This is why we baptize, one of the reasons why we baptize our small children. They are part of the church. They are part of the covenant community. They are in covenant, at least externally and legally, with Christ, if not internally, at that point when they're, when they receive their baptism. They're not, as one of our Presbyterian forefathers, who was having a bad moment when he said this, they are not little heathens. clear from Paul's command from Jesus to baptize that being a disciple necessarily involves being a part of a visible church, a visible body called the church. Being a part of the visible church is not an option for the true Christian. I suspect most of you have heard this before, but I'm going to say it again. You must be a part of a visible church body. Be a member. You must have made a commitment. You've got to obey your leaders, and you can't do that unless you have leaders that you've uh, uh, submitted to, um, who are Christ's under-shepherds. Under and you've got to be a part of a church body. Um, uh, baptism is only to be uh, offered and only to be um, uh, excuse me, administered in the church. You can't get baptized unless you're in the church. And sitting at home and saying, well, I love Jesus and I do, I do just fine reading my Bible or watching Charles Stanley on television is not fulfilling the commandments to be a part of the visible church. The Westminster Confession of Faith rightly says, derives this principle from Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 42. There is... No ordinary possibility of salvation outside the visible church. And that is absolutely true. There is no ordinary. There are extraordinary circumstances, but they're extraordinary. There's no ordinary possibility of salvation outside of the visible church. Cyprian uh, said back in the 4th century, a very godly man, said, he cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. And he was right. We are to make disciples by baptizing them into the church community, into the covenant community. Either by way of profession or because of uh, by birth uh, to uh, one or, or more uh, or one or two believing parents. And we are also to make disciples not only by baptizing them into the church, but also by teaching them. And I've already indicated this, but since disciples are learners and pupils, they, are natu- they naturally need to be taught. They need to be taught. So many churches don't teach their people other than John 3.16. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much in some cases. We need to be taught everything that Christ has taught us. In the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Remember, he's the Word of God. He wrote the Old Testament too, by his Spirit. We are to, uh, we individually and collectively, 
and here's where I have a greater burden, and the other elders do as well than you do, uh, to teach what everything that Christ has taught from both Testaments, including how to pray, how to read Scripture, how to worship, how to resist temptation, how to evangelize, etc., etc. And yes, that we uh, who are elders have a greater uh, responsibility in that and to some degree, uh, at least collectively, although you parents have an even higher responsibility for your own children than we do for your children. But we ha- corporately, we have a higher responsibility, uh, greater responsibility than you, uh, the laity do in the church. But it is not definitely not just our responsibility as elders in the church. We are all to teach and disciple one another. And another verse that makes this point is Colossians 3.16, where Paul says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing singing with uh, thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is a, uh, a responsibility that we all have to disciple to bring others into the church who are now walking in darkness. You need to be a discipler if you're a disciple of Christ. Then finally, in this passage, we've seen the tremendous assurance uh, uh, of our risen Savior that all authority has been given unto him. We have uh, seen the awesome responsibility that our risen Savior has given us to go and make disciples of all the nations and to teach and baptize them. But finally, in this passage, we have this glorious promise that our risen Savior has given to us, found in the second part of verse 20, where he said, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, lo. The word lo means look, remember, take special note. When he says this, he's saying, pay attention. Pay attention, in particular, right now. Lo, I am with you always. He, Jesus, by his Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, will be with you forever. This is true of you, that's what I was telling you children at the front end of this sermon. You can't ever be alone. You might not have any other humans around you, but you'll never be alone. Jesus will never, ever leave your side or let you out of his sight. And by the way, the I there, lo, I am with you always, uh, it's very emphatic in the Greek. He's saying, no one less than I myself will be there with you. He'll be right there. When you're struggling to fight against temptation that part of you wants to give into. He'll be right there when you're trying to turn a conversation to Christ to help an unbelieving friend of yours hear the gospel. He'll be right there when that non-Christian friend asks you a really tough question and for a moment you're like, I have no idea how to answer this. He'll be right there. He'll be right there when you're searching for the right words to say to your children when it's real difficult to tell them something that they need to hear. 
He'll be right there when, if the authorities come after us, start jailing us for our faith. He'll be there in all his power, all his wisdom, and all his love. And that power and wisdom and love is available to you in all of its fullness as you trust him in those moments. You've got to trust him. You've got to actively go, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. And he will be with you, and this is a promise that whose impact will last on into eternity. Never, ever will you be alone. Ever. You and I are soldiers in the Lord's army, folks. We have been given our marching orders. We are to go. We are to make disciples of all the nations. We are to baptize them. We are to teach them. And we are to pay attention to God's, uh, Christ's promise and his declaration of authority, and we are to remember it. And we are to storm the defeated enemy's camp and plunder his household of its human trophies. It's not just my responsibility. It's yours. Are we going to obey the Lord who rescued us from our hell and tell others? Are we going to turn our tail and run? May God give us the grace to boldly engage the enemy's forces with the gospel of peace knowing that our king has all authority over everything and is right there with us to help us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can't ever be alone. Lord, would you please comfort those who are lonely at times with these words of yours. We thank you that you are supremely um, sovereign, that you are the Lord of all, uh, that nothing is outside of the purview of your will, um, and that all authority that is exercised belongs ultimately to you and is merely delegated from your throne to human wielders of such authority. Would you please give us wisdom to know how to fulfill our, uh, a principal part of our, all of our callings, which is to go to make disciples. Would you please help each one of us to be more committed to the cause of evangelism, of disciple-making, would you please put individuals on our hearts right now who don't know you, who we have regular interaction with, whom we have not witnessed to yet? And would you please give us a burden for them uh, and for their souls? And would you please give us wisdom to know how to approach them and turn a conversation that we're having to them to spiritual matters? And would you please give us the courage 
to do that. Each one of us. In coming days and months ahead. Thank you that you came after us, Lord. If there's anyone who's listening that doesn't know you, Jesus, savingly, would you please melt his or her heart, cause such a one to see that he's doomed apart from your grace and your forgiveness? And would you please cause him to flee to you in faith and faith alone? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now God's blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you. He also will bring it to pass. Amen.